There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. In the beginning. That's how the greatest story in the greatest book begins. The story is the story of God. More specifically, it's the story of how God created. He created everything. And he created human beings as the pinnacle of his creation. He created human beings with the ability to not sin, as well as the ability to sin. But at first, when God created them, they were sinless. I mentioned that the greatest story is found in the greatest book. That book is known commonly as the Holy Bible, or the Word of God, or the Holy Scriptures. Well, sin is one of the words along with other words like transgression or iniquity that we find frequently in that book. And the reason we find those words so often in that book is because of what happened after God created human beings. Our first parents, named Adam and Eve, when given the option to either live perfectly holy lives or to cease following God, and allow sin into creation, chose the latter. This created, quite literally, a cosmic rupture. Creation was shaken to the core, and our first parents became immediately and utterly infected with a virus that was thereafter passed down to each and every human being. That virus is called a sin nature. Consequently, every human being that is born sins both by nature and by choice. And this creates another problem. Even if we are born physically healthy into this world, our hearts are not. The Holy Bible, which is a collection of books that God inspired to tell us about himself by quickening men with his spirit to give us the truths we need to know, tells us that our hearts are stillborn. By heart, I mean the wellspring of our spiritual and moral being, not our physical heart that keeps us alive, although they are called the same thing because their roles in our lives are very analogous. The sin of our first parents who were our perfect representatives and did no worse than we would have done in their place, killed our hearts. Meaning, unless those hearts are made alive again 
what the Holy Bible calls regenerated, then God, as perfectly holy and just and unable by his very nature to coexist with sin in his presence, is compelled to honor his name and his glory by consigning people who choose rebellion and wickedness to an eternity in a place called hell. But the greatest story doesn't end there. Beginning at the very beginning in Genesis, we see that God is not caught off guard by what we, as human beings, did. And so no sooner has humanity ruined, it seems, everything, than God begins to unfold his plan to rescue a whole swath of humanity by regenerating their hearts. But in order to do this, he has to send the Son of God, who was with God and was God from the very beginning, on a mission. The Son of God must take on the form of a human being, living as both truly man and truly God. This is expressed in the mysterious but true Christian doctrine of the Holy Trinity, God as one in essence, but three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Next, the Son of God must live a completely sinless life. Not one sin may he commit. As well, the Son of God must shift the burden both of humanity's sin and God the Father's righteous wrath onto himself, while being cruelly and very physically tortured to death. Finally, the Son of God must show that he has the power to ransom their souls and save them by virtue of rising triumphant from the grave after his death. This was a sacred and supremely difficult mission for the Son of God, who came into history as Jesus Christ. But the mission was accomplished. And the sin burden that Jesus Christ paid for was applied both to the past and to the future. It was like a supernova of mercy and grace that exploded 2,000 years ago, but whose ripples and effects are not constrained by space and time. Jesus' mission made it possible and pleasing for God the Father to regenerate the hearts of people born before, during, and after Jesus' time on earth. Before Jesus' life and ministry, regenerated hearts allowed people to truly and deeply trust in the promise of a coming Messiah as foreshadowed by the priests, prophets, ceremonies, and sacrifices of that time. This would include people like Abraham, Moses, and Elijah. During Jesus' life and ministry, regenerated hearts allowed people to completely trust in his life and mission and divinity. This would include people like Simeon, who dedicated Jesus as a child, as well as the thief who was crucified next to Jesus. After Jesus' life and ministry, Regenerated hearts allow people to truly and deeply trust in the completed 
and recorded work of the Messiah. This would include people like the Apostle Paul, Augustine, Martin Luther, Billy Graham, and hopefully, you and I. While we can never exhaust the depths of this good news, or what the Holy Bible calls the Gospel, it is straightforward enough at its core for anyone to understand. Do you believe God created you? Do you believe yourself to be under the curse of sin? Do you feel the weight of a heart that has been unresponsive to God? Do you feel genuine sorrow about your willful neglect of the will of God as expressed in the Word of God? If you can honestly answer yes to those questions, then it is very likely that even at this moment, God is working on your heart to bring it back to life for it is a work only he can perform, so that he can call you, justify you, sanctify you, and ultimately glorify you. It's all right if you don't know what all those words mean. You can read more about them in your Bibles in places like Romans chapter 8. But since God is so kind and merciful, we shouldn't be surprised that in that same book, Romans chapter 10, he inspired the Apostle Paul to say words that anyone, young, old, rich, poor, smart, simple, male, female, famous, unknown, powerful, weak, healthy, or sick, can understand and respond to. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If this good news is indeed new to you, my prayer is that today you understand it, accept its truth and authority, and surrender your life to Christ, earnestly asking him to take the burden of your sin away and providing you with a heart that is alive and clean and ready to worship its maker. Every human being who doesn't want to live both here and in the hereafter under the burden of their sin needs to do that. And if you are already a Christian, already a child of God, may you rejoice anew at this consideration of the greatest story that has ever been told a story that is unfolding even this day and onward into the bright, unimaginable vistas of eternity. May God bless you. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.